invite you this evening to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 17, in the Word of God, Luke, chapter number 17, and we'll be taking a look at a passage of Scripture that every time I go through this convicts my heart, and perhaps you feel the same way, and I want to just bring a message tonight entitled, The Musts of Christian Service. The Musts of Christian Service. And in Luke chapter 17, the Bible says in verse number 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Lord God, help us tonight to discern the truth that is laid before us. Minister to us from out of thy word. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have liberty in every heart. God, I pray that you would comfort where it is needed. And that you would convict where it is needed. And through it all, may we be instructed in your word and may you be glorified. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight we're considering the musts of Christian service. And as we begin this study, I believe that what we have just read is troubling to many. It sounds like we're being called upon here to be a little bit unkind to those that may work for us or subordinated to us in some manner or form, and yet that is not at all what the Lord is communicating here in the words written in red. In fact, what He is doing is He is giving us a parable that is teaching us one of the musts for proper Christian service, for our service to the Lord, for the question is raised by the Lord that if you have a servant that's out laboring in the fields, when they come in, do you say, go and sit down to meet? You, you take your rest and sit down and, and have something to eat. He said, rather you'll say, make ready that I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken and Afterward thou shalt eat and drink. And what the Lord is communicating here is that, no, it's within the scope of their responsibility to come and see to it that your meal is prepared and that you have eaten and had something to drink. And so rather than them sitting down and doing that, they serve you because that's their job to do. And the Lord asked the question, so, when they have done those things that were commanded them, 
do we give them thanks? And the answer comes back, I trow not, or I don't think so. And the message here is that, likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And the message here is not to be ungracious to people. It's not to be unkind or to be ungrateful. That is not at all the message that is being communicated. We have to look a little deeper than just the surface of what is being communicated here, for the Lord is conveying a deep spiritual truth in this parable. And what we find is that the Lord is directing our hearts to understand that when all we do is the least expect expectation, we have not been a profitable servant because all we did was what we were supposed to have done. It's what we were supposed to have done, right? So if you have children and, and uh, they do their chores, they make their bed and they pick up their toys or uh, maybe they mow the lawn or do the dishes and they do that as they have been instructed to do them, uh, we may say thanks for doing your chores, but those are the things that they should have done whether or not we gave them thanks. Now, if they would have done their chores and gone beyond that expectation and done something more to show their love to uh, their parent or their grandparent or whoever it may be, then that's when we get into the arena of the kind of Christian service that God is calling us to offer. I believe that what we draw from this is that what Jesus is asking of His servants is not just that they try to do the least of what is asked of them, but they do the most because of love. And I believe that the one difference maker in this passage would be love. Because love never does the least. It always does its best. It doesn't sink to the lowest common, common denominator. It rises to the highest common denominator. God calls us to serve by love in the book of Galatians. We find as well that the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians and chapter number 5 that the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And so it is the love that Christ had for Paul that constrained him to serve as a response to the love that God had bestowed upon him. For the Bible tells us, as you know, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. I think when we begin to have this discussion, we have to really come to terms with the reality that love is not just an emotion or a sentiment that is expressed verbally, but rather it is something that we do. It's not something just that is felt, it's something that we do. Love is an action. It bestows 
something upon a person in need without respect to uh, what it may cost me. I'm going to give of myself to, to meet the need in another without the expectation of anything coming back to me and then being content when that's what I get. And so, uh, really, God is calling us here in the words written in red and then again in the church age epistles that we are to serve by love, understanding that it is not this great reservoir of love that we have in our hearts for God and for His children that leads us, but rather it is like what Paul said, the love of Christ that is the constraint. It is God's infinite storehouse of love that leads us to, in response, engage His work to do more than the least expectation, to do more than just marking time and putting stars on our attendance chart, but rather in love, doing our best for the Master. We realize in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that the Bible declares there in verse number 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, in other words, love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, which is love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What we discover here in this profound text is that there is no profit to the servant of the Lord who does that service apart from love. There's no benefit in that because we know from a study of the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning there in verse number 15, that one day our works as believers will be judged by the Lord. Not our sin that was judged and adjudicated at Calvary, but our works will be judged. And those things not done in love for the Savior will burn like wood, hay, and stubble. Those works done in love for the Savior will come forth as gold and silver and precious stone. It will be a net profit for us in the economy of God. Those things done just going through the motions, marking time and doing the least will burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. The Lord is calling us to, to serve by love and love will always lead us to do more than the least expectation. What we find here is that Paul was saying that he could do all of these things that we consider to be noble, that we consider to be philanthropic and, and, and something that is just beyond the pale. But friends, if we do not do it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, what really are we doing it for? Who really are we doing it for? 
I know people that have done things that were considered noble, done other things that were considered to be sacrificial, humanitarian, philanthropic. You, you give it a name, but there's no profit in it whatsoever because they did that in order for others to have a higher estimation of them rather than to uplift the name and the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so understand that the first must of Christian service is the must of biblical charity. The Lord is calling us here to have charity. He said, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, which is love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We could say, my friends, that the man or the woman that is serving simply for plaudits and, and appreciation and recognition profits nothing. It profits nothing to them. You see, the must that God is calling us to is to by love serve. We know that the Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Certainly that is the highest and most honorable reason for which to serve the Lord. I can tell you that through the years I've talked to many people who have said, well, you know, I love working in children's ministry because I just love the kids. I just love the kids. And you know, I've got to tell you something. There may come a day where you just don't feel that same way. Then what? I can recall many times where, uh, you know, I'd get ready for Sunday and I'd be excited to go out and pick up bus kids on the bus and, you know, I would shine my shoes and, and the first thing that happens when they get on the bus is they step all over my feet and ruin the good sheen on my shoes, you know. And uh, I will have pressed my suit pants out where they look just nicely creased and, and ironed a, a nice white shirt and then the next thing you know, uh, some child wants to crawl up in your lap and they wet their pants all over you. And, uh, and, and then you just think, you know, what a wasted effort. And then you, you bake cookies so you can give them something when they get on the bus to nibble on. And you go out and you buy snacks and treats and, uh, and candy. And you know what? Uh, they throw it on the ground. They say, I don't like this kind. They never say thank you. And week in and week out, you endure that. And finally, you come to the place where you think, I can't stand these kids. The fact is, look, you shouldn't be doing it because you love the kids. You should be doing it because you love the Lord. Your feelings are going to change. The behavior of those kids will change every five minutes. But one thing never changes. Jesus, He is just the same yesterday and today and forever. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. That's what you can count on. So attach your love and the labor therewith to the Lord Jesus Christ because 
that is the thing that will see you through those rough days when you're underappreciated and not recognized, those days where you feel like um, nobody understands the sacrifices that you have made. My friends, when you're doing it for the Lord, you know what? He sees it all, He knows it all, and He's keeping accurate records, and He will reward you in that day where your works are put to the final test, and the test will be this. Did you do it because you loved God? You see, the first must is biblical charity. It's a love for God. That's the highest call that we have in our life. That's the greatest commandment that we have ever received, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Friends, when we do that, we have fulfilled an imperative of service to the Lord. And so consider the first must as that of being biblical charity. And then we consider this. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible there to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. And I think that this is very, very important for us to lay a hold of. For here we read in verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The instruction being given here to the church in Colossae is that they need to take care, be careful, that they be not spoiled. In other words, that their labors be ruined, that they prove to be unprofitable in the work of the Lord because of the fact that they are done on the basis of the world's philosophy through vain deceit. In other words, choosing to serve, vainly wanting the credit, wanting others to acknowledge us rather than acknowledging God in all that we do. And then doing so after the tradition of men. Now traditions are those things that uh, have been done and we look back over the past and they serve as a precedent, we think, for what should be done going forward. They become a tradition that we repeat sometimes year after year, sometimes day after day. The fact is that there are those who will serve after a tradition and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. What we're discovering here is that we need to be rooted and established in Christ Jesus and in His Word. That's why the Bible says there in verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So my friends, we recognize that we're being called to serve for much more than just the reason that this is what my family has always done. This is just what we have always done. This is how it's printed in our, in our documents. This is what 
we think we're supposed to do because that's what we're being told we're supposed to do it that way. And the fact is that if the Bible doesn't lead us to do it that way, then what are we doing it for? We're following after the rudiments of the world. We're following after the tradition of men rather than after what the Word of God declares we should do. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That first thing that Paul recounted about the church in Thessalonica was a work of faith. And what that indicates to us is this, that they did what they did because of what they believed. Not because that's the way they'd always done it. Not because that's the way grandma and grandpa did it. Uh, folks, they did this because of what they believed on the basis of thus saith the Lord. What do we believe? Well, we, we, we believe the faith. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I'm to be rooted and grounded, built up in the truth of the word of God and do the things that I do based upon the truth revealed in the word of God. And what this is teaching us tonight is the second must for Christian service, and that is the must of a biblical cause. Can I justify the things that I'm doing, the money that I'm spending, the time that I'm investing with a biblical mandate? Do I know that this is biblically what I ought to be doing? Folks, there are a lot of things that may make you feel good inside. And it may not be at all what the Bible says do. It, there may be things that, that uh, uh, everybody gets excited about, but it may not be the thing that the Bible says you ought to be doing. And, and, and I want to be able to take the Word of God and prove out every little thing that we do at Freeway Baptist Church to determine and know that this is exactly in compliance, in obedience to the model of the Word of God. Because then we will know that that is a model, that that is a work that God can bless entirely. Now, folks, we might have the right intentions, but we're doing the wrong thing. And I'm glad you have good intentions, but you know better to have the right model and the right intentions than to just have good intentions while doing the wrong things. And so we need to go to the Word of God. I remember years ago, my, my father was pastoring a church in California, and uh, the, there were those in the church that held to some staunch uh, generations-long traditions, and they wanted everyone that came in to hold fast to those traditions. And there's nothing wrong with some, some great traditions that people may have. It, it may be something like singing uh, the doxology on a special occasion, or, or maybe it's uh, something like uh, how they do the Lord's Supper a certain way. Th th that's fine. But uh, I recall that uh, we had many, many people that were working in the Sunday school, and the church had the tradition of having communion the first Sunday morning of the month. 
and they would have it on Sunday morning. So all of those that were working in other parts of the building during the morning worship service were never permitted to participate in the Lord's Supper. And many of them uh, opined to the pastor and said, you know, we would love to have the opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper at some point in time as well. And so I recall that my dad said, well, uh, listen, that there's nothing that says we can't have it on a Sunday evening. And so he began to schedule Sunday evening communion services. Well, I got to tell you, it just created an uproar that was uh, the likes of which we wish we hadn't have seen. We definitely poked the sleeping bear on that point. And uh, that bear woke up growling. And I got to tell you, it, it created a problem. And I, and I can recall Dad going into a deacon's meeting, and, and many of the deacons were upset because we had violated this generations-long tradition of having communion on Sunday morning only. And uh, so uh, Dad was uh, leading the meeting, and someone raised the point and uh, called to a point of order and said, Well, Reverend, what about the verse in the Bible that says you got to have communion on Sunday morning? And uh, my dad took his Bible and handed it to the man and said, could you show me where that verse is found? Well, he took the Bible and he kind of flipped around and he kind of fumbled about and he said, well, I don't know where it's at, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. Dad said, you know, I've read that from cover to cover. And I can tell you for certainty, it's not in there. So it's not a biblical mandate to have communion on Sunday morning. There was a silence that fell over the room and people began to understand that we were just doing it because that's the way we've always done it. And when we begin to just simply follow after tradition and we don't really even understand why we're doing a certain thing or the way in which we're doing it, we cannot rationalize it from the Word of God. We're treading on some thin ice because we're following the tradition of men, perhaps. It may not be inherently sinful, but we cannot try to put that up as co-equal to thus saith the Lord. We cannot simply say, well, it may be the rudiments of the world, but it makes me feel good. Folks, I'm just going to say this to you. Um, it may feel good to do certain things that fall within the pale of sinfulness. The fact that it feels good or makes you feel good doesn't mean that it's good or right, either one. And so the second must of Christian service is that we must have a biblical cause to be able to justify and understand that the things that we do and the way that we do them are in accord with what the Bible is instructing us to do. We ought to be able to go there and find it. Now, the first article of faith in the bylaws of our church indicate that the Bible shall be the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. And what that means, that the Bible is going to stand as the authority for all that we believe and how we carry out what we believe. 
all that we believe and how we carry out what we believe. We must be able to justify the things that we do from the Word of God in precept or in principle. Be able to go to the Word of God and say, here it is right here. Folks, I, I think there are times where honestly um, I can justify having a chicken dinner. <laughs> you say, you can? Well, um, certainly the Bible says that in uh, in the First Timothy chapter 6 that God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. <laughs> God gave it to us to enjoy it. Now, I'm, I'm just teasing you a little bit right now, but you know, I'm going to say something. Sometimes we, we do that to continue the fellowship out of the auditorium and into the fellowship hall. To build and strengthen the ties that will bind us together as we serve Christ. Charging the gates of hell. It will help us to understand and be able to better bear the burdens of those that we are in this body together with. Sometimes it's to comfort those that are afflicted because someone is downcast. We've gathered for a memorial and we have a luncheon so we can comfort those that are in great distress. And I think we can go to the book of Acts and find on many occasions when a church gathered together and, and had a meal and, and the common denominator was not so much the food that they ate. The fellowship that they had around the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, even sometimes sitting down at a covered dish luncheon can be something that would fall within the pale of what the Bible would indicate we ought to do as a church family. I believe that the must of biblical charity is something that we cannot get away from, and the must of a biblical cause is something we cannot get away from either. You know, it's a waste of time to be doing things that you just think randomly make you feel good you like to do. Now, wonderful if those things are found in the Word of God, but if they're not, I think we need to reassess, reevaluate, and then redirect. The fact is, there are several things, and I don't know that I have time to finish this whole message tonight, but we'll, we'll take a stab at what we can get at here. I want you to turn over, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 in the Word of God. And there we find this. In verse number 38 of Luke chapter 10, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I think all of us perhaps that have been around church for a little while have walked through Luke chapter 10 and 
understood the contrast in service between Mary and Martha. I think really that more than contrasting Mary and Martha, we need to understand that what Jesus ultimately was leading them to understand was that service and worship must go hand in hand. And so where we found Martha was being upset because she had to do all the dishes by herself and Mary was in sitting at Jesus' feet listening to Him teach, leaving her to have to do all the dishes and she set the table and helped cook the meal. The least that Mary could do is come in and, and help out and uphold her into the bargain and and, uh, and she was troubled about that. And the Lord was, was not saying that, well, Mary's right not doing this, or you're right in doing that. No, the Lord said, understand that what Mary has chosen is the better part of this. And that's never going to be taken away from her. You see, she found herself at the feet of Jesus and as we read on through the Gospels, we cannot just simply interpret this in an isolated context. As we look at the ongoing mention in the Gospels of Mary and Martha, we find that there were times that followed this where they labored together, where they worshipped together, where they prepared, and it says, and Mary served with Martha, her sister. You see, what Martha was doing was not inherently evil. The fact that she was so obsessive about what Mary was doing and, and that she should come and help and that Martha's interest was not in sitting at the feet of Jesus revealed the core of the problem. And that was that she was serving without the heart of worship. Which reveals to us the third must of Christian service. And that is this, the must of biblical communion, of communing with God. Now Mary is a wonderful example of a, of a true worshiper of Jesus Christ. Mary of Bethany is revealed to us on three different occasions in the Word of God, and in all three instances we find her at the feet of Jesus. We... we learned of one of those instances this morning where that she anointed the, the, the head and the feet and the body of Jesus and, and washed His feet with the hairs of her head. And she broke the alabaster box. But where was she? She was at the feet of Jesus. We find her also at the time when her brother Lazarus had died. She, she cast herself at the feet of Jesus in, in absolute mournfulness before Him and pouring her heart out to Him and realizing that if she would be comforted at all, it would be at the feet of Jesus. And then here we find her while Jesus was there in their home and being served a meal, that she sat at the feet of Jesus listening to the teaching of Jesus. And it reveals to us how vitally important it is that though we serve, we do it with a biblical communion where we sit at the feet of Jesus. Because I want to just simply say this to you. If we go through the motions and the energy of our flesh, there is going to be a sum total of nothing to show for it. 
But if we draw from the Lord Jesus Christ, like Mary, like John, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who leaned upon Jesus' breast at supper and imbibed of His Spirit and drew from the love of Jesus, and that became the theme of that apostle, the love of God and the love for God and for His people. It, he drew from what Jesus gave him, and it gave him a ministry. It gave him a message, and through it, he found great power with God. Otherwise, my friends, all we're doing is what we know how to do. All we're doing is we're just going through perfunctory ministry in the energy of the flesh. And above all, we need power with God, which comes from that time spent at Jesus' feet. We need His power. We need His strength. And we need His wisdom. And apart from that time spent at Jesus' feet, we're just going through the motions. My friends, God doesn't want you to be just a worker bee in the army of God. He doesn't want you to just be going through the motions. He wants you to be engaged from the heart. He wants you to be connected to the power source. And you will be as you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Engaging with a, a love and a passion for the Lord that leads you to worship at His feet and draw from Him. Can I tell you something? I really prayed all week that the Lord would give me the messages for today. I, I thought about what I had preached in the previous 18 Palm Sunday messages that I had brought at Freeway Baptist Church. I thought, I don't want to just do a, a rehash of an old sermon. I don't want to just rework an old theme and have people sit there and say, yeah, you know, we're, we're going through all of the historical, cultural narrative of the triumphal entry of Christ, and we've gone back to Zechariah. Yeah, we're checking all the boxes to make sure that we've done everything we ought to do to, to do justice to Palm Sunday. We, we didn't check the box today of having palm fronds in the center aisle uh, to serve as a visual aid, but, but pretty much we did the rest of it. But you know, I, I didn't want to just say, well, you know, I've done this 18 previous Palm Sundays here successfully, so I'm just going to put this on autopilot and we'll get her done. Uh, you know, I can tell this story backwards and forwards and in my sleep, so we'll just do it and call it good. The fact is that all of us are at a different place in our lives and in our families and country's history. We're experiencing things that we've never experienced before. We're at a different place. We can't just eat old warmed-overs from several years ago. We need something fresh from the Word of God. You know how that happened today? I spent some time at Jesus' feet. I spent some time praying, seeking the Lord's face. I spent time reading His Word to, to try to lean on His breast metaphorically and to draw and imbibe from His Spirit. 
was trying to listen and learn so that it would not just be a redundancy, but it would be something that would be new and fresh and something that would be meaningful. And though it was the same familiar story, I believe that today the Lord answered the prayer and it was meeting a need that perhaps was present today that might not have been present last Easter. And so I, I believe that for preachers and Sunday school teachers and for church musicians and those that engage any aspect of the work of the Lord, it is important for us not just to learn the words of the song, but let the words of the song minister to our heart so that we can minister again in the power of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I taught a class to young men and women that were training for the ministry. And as, as we discussed the subject of the music ministry, we talked about many things, but I, I challenged those who would sing in the service of the King that they determine that they will not minister a song in church until they have first worshipped at Jesus' feet with that song, until it has moved them in their spirit, brought tears to their eyes, meant something to them at the deepest part of their heart, because until that takes place, we are just giving a recital. We're not ministering a message in song. The must, biblical communion. God doesn't call us to be talented. He calls us to be faithful. He wants us to simply, faithfully, diligently seek Him. Finding ourselves at Jesus' feet. Drawing strength and wisdom. So that with that strength, we can impart that wisdom to others. May God help us. To be the kind of Christian servant that he's calling us to be. Lord God, I pray that you would tonight use these simple thoughts to stir our hearts and minds. May they lead us to become the people that you desire for us to be. Lord, may we not simply go through the motions. May, may nursery workers not just change babies and rock them and, and feed them. But Lord, may they minister love, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Might they minister consolation and encouragement to, to mamas with children. Lord, help us to understand that everything that we do in this life must be paired together with an abiding love for you, with a purpose derived from the Word of God, and with a worship from time spent at Jesus' feet. Help us, O oh God, to be all that You're calling us to be, that You might receive the honor and glory. For this we pray, in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, thank you for joining us tonight. I want to just talk for a moment to those that may be watching or listening. And in your heart of hearts, you're not really certain that if you died tonight, 
that you'd spend forever in heaven with God. And if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully. John 3.16 tells us that God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that you might have the benefit of believing in the one that died for you, that you might have everlasting life. He wants to spend forever with you. But there's a problem, and that is God is holy and just, and our sin is hindering that eternal fellowship in heaven with God. Because a holy God cannot allow sin to enter His presence. He cannot abide there. We understand that we are all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because God is just, we realize that there's a penalty for sin. And it is one that has to be paid. It cannot be swept under the rug. It has to be paid. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That is the payment. Death is separation. It is separation from God. But the good news is, because God is love, He paid that debt for you. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So He took the penalty and He paid the price in full with His own blood for you and for me. Thus, satisfying His holiness, His justice as a work of His infinite love toward you. And having paid your sin debt and mine in full, He offers forgiveness through His shed blood, according to Ephesians 1.7. And He invites us now to receive the forgiveness and everlasting life in heaven with Him as a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if we believe that, and then receive that gift, the Bible says we shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. That's why He died. That's why He was buried. That's why He rose again. That is a living Savior. He could say your sin was forgiven at Calvary. It was buried in the depths of the deepest sea. And now I'm living to offer you eternal life with me in heaven if you'll simply believe that you cannot save yourself and that the only hope that you have is in what I have done for you. And if you believe that tonight, I invite you to receive God's free gift. Now, there are no magic words that open the gates of heaven because God is looking right down into the depths of your heart. And He wants to see into your heart that you sincerely trust Him and will believe Him, have faith in Him. And when you do, you'll be willing to confess to Him in prayer that you're a sinner that you believe that He died on the cross to save you, and you, you now receive His forgiveness. You invite Him in to do that work of forgiveness and to, to live with you forever. 
so that you can spend forever with Him in heaven. And if you've never made that decision to invite Him in, to forgive you, and to take you to heaven, I invite you to join me in prayer right now if you believe with all of your heart. Would you pray this simple prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I realize that I cannot save myself. And I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I believe that Jesus died, that He was buried, that He rose again to give me this gift of eternal life. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only for my salvation. Thank you, God, for dying for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, believing on the authority of God's Word, you are saved. If you prayed that prayer, we want you to reach out to us. Find our phone number, our email address, message us on Facebook. However you have joined us tonight, find that information. Call us. Let us know. We want to send you a Bible. We want to give you some materials that will help you understand all that is yours now that you have taken Christ as your Savior. Again, thank you for joining together with us tonight. It's been our joy and privilege to lift up the name of Jesus, to open His Word to you. We look forward to joining together Tuesday night for men's Bible study at 6 in person and on Zoom and Wednesday night in person here and online at 7. Friday night communion right here at 7 p.m. for Good Friday. And then Sunday, Easter Sunday, as we celebrate not just a day on the calendar, but the most powerful event that has impacted human history that has ever been conceived of, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. We hope that you'll join together with us. And until we meet again, may the Lord richly bless you.